I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Resilient Virtual Book Tour. I'm super excited to have a very special guest with me today, uh, Jewel Burke-Solomon. Jewel is the head of Google for Startups in the U.S. Uh, In this role, Jewel works to level the playing field for underrepresented startup founders and communities by connecting them with the best of Google products, people, and platforms. In addition to this role, Jewel also serves as a managing partner at Collab Capital, an alternative investment fund she launched to close the funding gap for Black entrepreneurs. Jewel's work and mission is about creating more access to the technology innovation ecosystem. Welcome our next guest, Jewel. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the tour. I'm so excited. I was like, okay, I really want to get Jewel on the tour because you bring the perspective of not only founder, but founder turned investor and also someone that has worked in the corporate landscape, which I would consider Google like the corporate landscape now, although they started (laughs) from a startup. (laughs) Very corporate. Yes. It's like very innovative technology, but corporate. And so you been across every uh, landscape and can speak to audiences that really no one else who I brought on um, to date can do. And so super excited to have you as a guest and for saying yes as well. Um, I don't know how far you've gotten in my book, but on chapter six, I, I, I quote many different women um, black women in the book. And on chapter six, I quoted um, you. And particularly, the <laughs> quote says, when you fund black founders, you help create systemic generational change. And I just feel like that quote is so just relevant and like the foundation of so much of like your work. And like you live it, you breathe it, you mean it, you work for it, all of these things. And so I was like, yeah. This is this is what we're trying to do here. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I saw I finished the book. It's amazing. Yes, it was supposed to be like, okay, anyone should be able to finish this book. Right. Yeah, and I left I, like four chapters on like the cutting room table because we were like, all right. I was like, no, I want everybody to be able to finish this book. Yeah, it's super, it's a super easy read. Like it took me two days, I think, yes. to, to read through it. So um I love that because you know, I'm terrible at like starting books and then getting distracted <laughs> and starting something else. But this one, it was really easy to to read through. And I saw the the quote, which you're right, is very much, um, it's, it's kind of a cornerstone to everything that I do. Um, I, I really believe that funding Black founders is, yeah. is the key. So um, yes, yeah, super. I was very honored to see that I got that little <laughs> plug in. Um, and just also so excited for you and so proud of everything that you're doing. So thank you. Yes. So take us back. Um, a question that I've been asking, um, really all of our guests is to tell us about your background. And sometimes people say background, they mean like work background, but I just mean like where you come from, you know, where your family, um, comes from, um, talk a little bit about how your background like prepared you for the journey you would embark on, or in some cases, maybe have, maybe didn't prepare you for the journey you embarked on. Yeah. So going all the way back, um, I always like to share, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So I really got entrepreneurship honest because that's all I saw growing up, both on both sides, my my dad 
Um, my grandfather actually started businesses in Mobile, Alabama in the 50s and 60s. So um, as a black man, you know, that was a feat. Um, yes. So as, as a little girl, I saw uh, my grandparents in the business. I saw my dad kind of taking over the businesses. Um, my earliest memories are, you know, trying to pretend to be the cashier in the gas stations. We had uh, service stations and laundromat, um, a subway at one point. So I was really working in those businesses from a very, very early age. And uh, that shaped a lot of what I thought people did. I mean, I really didn't know that people did anything else but run businesses. Um, and then on my mom, with my mom, she started an insurance agency when I was seven years old. So I also saw her starting up from a you know, early age and watching her grind it out and, you know, it'd be a little rough at the beginning. It was, it was pretty tight uh, financially, but, you know, just kind of watching her sacrifice and build the business. So um, I think that's always important to start because for me, like I said, I didn't really know much else. I, I didn't have aspirations past being an entrepreneur because that's really what I saw. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents both have been really important to my journey as an entrepreneur because I feel very fortunate. And you talk a lot about, you know, your your mom and your even though you lost your parents at a young age, that the fact that they were so instrumental in what you have become. Mm -hmm. And I have the same story. But my parents have been, especially my mom, has been incredibly important to my journey and just kind of being there and being sort of my coach in the background um, as yeah. I go through all of it. So, so yeah, the, the early age uh, exposure to entrepreneurship planted a seed within me. And of course I've done different things. My parents built businesses that were very different than the business that I built. Mm -hmm. um, but that exposure and the idea that I can do this, um, I think was really important to you know, what I've actually ended up doing. Absolutely. And so you are a graduate of Howard University. Um, was it there, was that environment where you were exposed to tech or how did you get exposed to the tech ecosystem as a whole? Yeah, so I guess, yes, the answer is, I, I can credit Howard for being that bridge for me because um, when I got to Howard, I was in the School of Business and the School of Business at that time, at least, was very adamant about students going to Wall Street. You know, we mm -hmm. were like little soldiers. We had to wear suits on <laughs> on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then most people would like fly up to New York for interviews with the, the banks. And so I was on that same trajectory. My freshman year, I interned at Goldman Sachs. I definitely thought, you know, I'm going to go and be a trader on Wall Street. And like that was yeah. the, the, the thought. Um, but but my timing was not so great because this was 2008. And, yeah. <laughs> and I had to think about, OK, well, this the market is crashing. Do I want to be there? Um, so I actually interned summer of 2008. And then, you know, fall is when things really just went crazy. So when I got back to to school, I was like, OK, well, maybe I need to look at other options. Um, and so I ended up interning or interviewing with Google and um, and because they were on campus. And so um, just, you know, was curious about the business. I didn't really know too much about technology industry at that mm -hmm. time. But when I met the recruiter and got to, um, you know, get to know what, what types of things that they were doing, I was like, oh, this is fascinating. So um, went out the summer after my sophomore year and just completely fell in love with what was happening and just the speed of everything, you know, how well things worked 
at Google. I was mm -hmm. like enamored by that. Um, and so ended up actually graduating from school early because I wanted to get back uh, to work sooner. Uh, so I ended up graduating after my junior year and going to work full time at Google in Mountain View. Um, and that was my entry into the, the tech industry. So now you're in Mountain View, which is essentially a ground zero for tech, right? Yeah. How is that experience um, just being at the core of tech and literally like living it day in and day out at Google? Yeah, you know, it's funny because my internship experience was very different from when I moved out there for full time because the internship, you're kind of in this bubble and I was in the internship program. It was called Bold. And so it was other students from universities, mostly black and Latinx and, um, you know, diverse students. And so I was thinking, oh, this is bomb. Like every, it's, it's so cool. And then when I come back for full time, I'm like, wait a minute, where did everybody go? <laughs> it was not the same. So it, at first it was kind of a culture shock, you know, coming from mm -hmm. Howard where for the last three years I've been in a situation where I didn't even have to think about being black because everybody, right. you know, it's coming from different places, but pretty much all of us are black. Um, and so it, the focus was more so on, you know, the grades or the internships or, you know, the personalities. It wasn't as much on the color. Right. Um, but then when I got back out there and I realized like, oh, it's, it's not, it's me. Oh, okay. right. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, that was definitely an adjustment to make. And then, you know, it was not just being one of very few black folks. It was mm -hmm. also a culture shock from the perspective of, you know, a lot, most of the people I worked with came from rich families and like, yeah. you know, the conversations were totally different. Even something as small as like, I had never heard of quinoa when I yeah. started working at Google. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know how to say it. And so it's things like that where it's like, Oh, this, this was, these were adjustments that I didn't anticipate. Um, and I think the, again, exposure was great, but for me, it was definitely kind of like fish out of water. Um, but what I learned quickly is that I was deserving of being in that situation. And I had to flip myself out of like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Or that kind of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and realize that like, I'm just as smart as everybody else that's here. You know, I'm still able to kill it in my job. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was my experience kind of starting out there. Yeah, um, I was there for about two years and then I was kind of homesick to the point where I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I got my experience. I'm ready to go back to be closer to family. Um, so I did end up leaving after a couple of years, but for me, those two years were important because mm -hmm. one, they gave me that confidence of like, okay, I can compete with the best of them as far as this industry is concerned. And then I also got this spark around the fact that I was working with people one day and then you know, they would leave Google and go and start something. And then yeah. them months later, and I'd be like, oh, okay, well, that person, I mean, they were cool, but they weren't like a genius. So right. they can do it. I can do it. And so I, I definitely got this idea that at some point I would want to start a tech company. And I, I had some confidence that I could do it, given mm -hmm. just the exposure to the types of people that were going and starting stuff. So 
I, and you were returning back to your roots, right? That entrepreneurial, you know, start something, build something from the ground up roots, exactly. which was already kind of ingrained in you. Exactly. Yep. So it was, I think, you know, the, the marriage of what my upbringing was around entrepreneurship and then seeing what it meant to start a company from just an idea and, and use technology as the catalyst. Um, you know, those years at Google, those first few years at Google were really pivotal for me to see like, okay, I can do this. I, mm-hmm. I have the background from the family aspect <clears throat> and I have now this understanding of what it means to actually start a tech company. And so those things were really the the seeds, I would say, to what eventually became part pick and became my you know trajectory into tech startups. Yeah. And I love how you talk about like exposure because even something as simple as food, I also had that same, uh, like same thing. I think about so many times where people were just eating something. I'm like, what is this? And they're pronouncing <laughs> it. And apparently I'm like, I should know what this is because it seems very popular. <laughs> but the cultural differences, like what you have or haven't been exposed to and how important that is. I always, yeah. a friend of mine, we talk about things that we may have done different along the way. And one of the things that we talk about is we wish we actually would have went into an agency, like a large agency when we first started our agencies, which is my first company, um, to just learn the mechanics of how these larger companies and corporations do it. And even though we're like, we consider ourselves like serial entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, um, we don't try to pass that on like one-to-one to everyone else uh, because you know, it's like, oh, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. And I was interviewing my friend, Phil. And he was like, let's talk about everybody doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. Some people actually want to go down the corporate route. Yeah. Um, but you talk about, you know, spending two years in this corporate, this huge environment, this corporate environment, and like what that did for you. Um, and so that's something that I always like to, because I think some people look at us and they're like, oh, straight to the founder journey, straight to the entrepreneur uh, path. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I usually always tell people, especially Especially folks that are like just coming out of school and they're like, oh, I'm going to start this business. I think, you know, the, in circumstances like yours it, where it works and you were able to quickly, you know, get into your business and, mm-hmm. and just run for it, then go for it. But for me, the important part was being able to learn on someone else's dime and make mistakes on someone else's dime first and get some skills built up. You know, I was in sales um, initially. And so and I think back to my job was to make 100 calls a day. Yeah. And for me, that was so important for me at that time in my life because I was, I'm not like a very outgoing person. And and it busts me out of this shell that I had where I had to get comfortable getting on the phone and talking to people and making a pitch. And yeah. at the time I thought this is the worst job ever. But later, you know, a couple of years later when I was pitching, Things, I was like, oh, that was really useful experience. Or even when I was running sales process, oh, now I know how to build a funnel and like vet leads and, and do all these different things. I would not have known had I not had that first job. And so I do mm-hmm. try to, you know, coach on whatever it is that you're doing now, even if you have aspirations as an entrepreneur, learn as much as you can, get as many skill sets I mean, as you can today. And then you can apply those to your business later on. 
absolutely. And even though I was able to do it without that, um, I wish I would have been able to learn on somebody else's dime. <laughs> so I learned that after the fact that that is a possibility and a pathway. And it just tells you like the power of um, HBCUs because I went to LSU and Google, like they were sitting us Oh, and they weren't bringing these internships and these opportunities into our uh, preview. And yeah. thus, we didn't know they existed until almost really after I was exposed to at the college. So, yes, it just tells you the intentionality of HBCUs to place their students in position um, to work in these environments that we generally, um, from our backgrounds and communities, hadn't been exposed to. Yeah. Um, so I love that. So now you're you're in found now you're a founder. Um, you start a company, um, Harpic. How was that journey? Like starting up, um, synthesizing on idea to product, and then ultimately exit. But we'd love to talk about uh, the beginnings of um, starting your startup. Yeah. So I actually, when I left Google, I took another job. So I worked at another. Um, this time I wasn't. I was there for a little over a year where I got the idea for part pick. So the company was called McMaster car and it's an industrial distributor, um, which was a totally like probably the most that I ever picked from Google. Cause they were very old school, you know, not really into technology, at all. but um, I take that experience also as a blessing because I wouldn't have had the idea been there really at the center of the problem that I ultimately, um, now to solve with the business. Um, so it was my experience sitting in, in my desk and I was managing the call center. So I got all these, um, my job was to field customer complaints pretty much from people that um, had maybe talked to someone on my team and then not gotten the right product and called back and had a, you know, uh, lots of time they were free. So mostly I got you that um, every day. And that's a great pressure point for a better solution. So because of that experience, I thought, okay, these customers are not finding the right products. We are having to deal with the back end. Then we have to find the right thing and ship it out to them. So what would we get for this process to run? Um, and that kind of that scenario is really what gave way to this idea that I had, which is how could you take a picture or could you take a picture of a part and use that as the catalyst for the search. Um, and that was the idea. Super simple. Named it Part Pick. You know, kept mm -hmm. it real <laughs> easy. Um, and I just became obsessed with this idea. And I also had a personal tie to it. Um, my grandfather, who we, ha we have a, a family farm. And he had a tractor breakdown in the middle of his harvest. Couldn't find a part for it called me because I was working at a parts company at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't find it either. So I was like, dang, the customers are having this problem. Now I'm experiencing it by way of my grandfather. So there has to be a better way. Um, and so that was really kind of the the genesis for me starting the business. Um, and then I just started doing a ton of research. I started figuring out how does computer vision technology work at that time. I didn't really know what that meant. I had mm -hmm. had some some exposure to it, but not a ton. Um, but I just went deep into researching it, trying to figure out if there was anything already on the market that was similar, um, saw nothing, and then um, started to think about, okay, who can help me with this? Because yeah. 
as smart as I think I am, I'm not smart enough to build a new <laughs> algorithms and technology around. Right. <laughs> so I um, started to kind of try to put the team together and reach out to different people. Um, and, and that's really kind of how we started. And that was 2012 um, going into 2013. And, you know, I made a Basically, I gave myself six months to save up enough money in my job to float me for the next year. Mm-hmm. I was naive because I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be easy to build this. People are going to definitely pay for it within a year. So a year's worth of savings will be enough. I was right. <laughs> two years to get to a point where people would buy it or, you know, it was developed enough for people to buy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, that was the beginning. And then... Um, yeah, went all in, quit my job, moved to New York and did an accelerator, um, which you talked about accelerators in your book. And I didn't have the best experience with the accelerator. Yeah, it's always a hit or miss. Like, I feel that you just never know. You have yeah. to like really vet. I feel like now there's even more accelerators and, you know, programs that you can go into. Yeah. Um, but with that experience did was it did help me to build up uh, a network in New York, which I would later use as I when I started fundraising. So mm-hmm. I, basically every experience that I've ever had, I try to just take whatever I can take from it. Even if overall the experience isn't great, I try to yeah. just, you know, see what gems can I, can I take away? But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was the beginning and then it was a rocky road. <laughs> it was, it was definitely hard, super hard yeah. uh, journey, but ultimately, like you mentioned, um, successful outcome with the exit to Amazon. Yes. And you were one of the first Black women to raise capital. And we talk about like, okay, guys, we can stop like counting Black <laughs> women as raised a million dollars. <laughs> Let's talk about getting these contracts, which is, yes. you know, yes. I'm a big proponent of like, let's, let's talk about who's signing these contract deals with Black yes. founders and Black female founders. Yeah, you know, you well. know how I feel about that. I'm like, okay, guys, yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> we are good. Uh, and so your exit process, and, you know, this is almost a question for myself when I think about um, sometimes like we get people that reach out to us related to M&A, uh, which is like merger and uh, acquisitions talk and their agencies that that's what they do and companies, that's what they do 24 um, seven. How was the exit process and just going through that? Um, Cause that's even a rare process, right? That we see black founders who can make it to an exit um, a liquidity event. Yeah, man, that process was tough to say. <laughs> it was really, really hard for a number of reasons. Um, probably the biggest reason is because I wasn't really ready to sell the business. I was still very early, only, you know, a little over four years into the process of building. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I think you're probably at year five at this yes. point. Um, and you probably only really hit your stride, you know, around year four. And yes. so for me, it was like, dang, I'm 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 almost there. Like I I'm right here at this point where you know customer contracts are coming in, mm-hmm. like we're, we're scaling, like things are really working. Um, but the problem was things were working, but they weren't working fast enough for me to float the business completely off of revenue. Yeah, and they and and the deals or offers that I was getting on the next round, I was not happy with. I didn't yeah. like the investors. I didn't like what they were putting on the table. So I was in this awkward position where it's like, well, I want to keep going, 
But the market, what's happening, the dynamics at play are making it difficult for me to keep going. And Amazon is coming here with this very, you know, attractive offer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was my dilemma. Yeah. You know, I had to make a decision that I thought was best for the business and ultimately, you know, best for me and my team and everything. But it was a, it was a very, very difficult decision to make. I'd say probably the hardest decision I've ever made in my yeah. life. And I had to make it very quickly. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, when you get a, a, an offer, a serious offer on an M&A, they're not going to let you like spend weeks pondering. Right. It's like, are you ready to move or no? (laughs) Usually they are there, you know, they'll they'll be exploding if, if it's a big company and they don't want you to be able to get other offers to compete, they'll put a time limit on it. So time window to make a decision. Um, And the only thing really, not the only thing, but one thing that helped me is that I had already said to myself and like wrote it out that I wanted to sell the business one day because we were in this niche area. I didn't expect that we would have, you know, I didn't think we would go that path. So I always Mm -hmm. knew that we would sell the business. We had Amazon as the number one uh, potential target that we would sell to. So when Amazon came and gave me an offer, I was like, you know, I did say this. I did, you know, keep it out there. Um, But that the decision to actually sell was difficult. And then the process to sell was even more difficult because um, one, the likelihood of things falling, you know, of things not working out is very high. Mm -hmm. They can find something in diligence. You know, it, it could not be a match. There's a number of things that could happen. And so that's a big risk. Um, and then also the the fact that you have to continue to keep your business going because of that, the risk of it not working out. And yeah. then you don't want to be left holding a bag at the end, you know, with not having a deal on the table for the acquisition, not having pursued the next round of funding. Like there's right. that whole period, I think it was about five months of uncertainty because you're like, just trying to keep things going, but also knowing that this could work, it could not work. And yeah, so it's a, it's a lot. I mean, I'm writing yeah. a book. I got to. Yes. <laughs> like what all you can expect in that process. Because one thing that I experienced was that I didn't really know a lot of people that had gone through the full process of selling a company. Yes. Only a few people um, and their experiences. I didn't know any Black women who had done it. Um, and, you know, I talked to like Alexis Ohanian, but his experience as a white man. Oh, completely different, right? <laughs> completely different. And, and even, you know, yeah, it's just totally different experiences. So um, I definitely, definitely would encourage anyone in Savitra, if you ever, you know, if you are getting offers or when you get to that point, we have got to talk because it's such a... We will. It's such a wild thing that goes on and there's such little discussion about it mostly i think because one you know the contracts are different like the the stock purchase agreement that you sign when you're selling your business is totally different than the agreements that you sign when you're raising money mm-hmm. you know it's it's a 150 plus page document or at least it was in my case it probably be more yeah. you know if it's a bigger deal so there's so much that's in those agreements that like you really at a certain point kind of can't talk about it in, in certain ways or you, you're locked up for a number of years. Like yeah. I'm now four years out from 
um, for my deal. So I'm just now like able Being to talk, able about, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then the psychological piece to it of like, you've been working on something, putting your all into it for years. And then all of a sudden it's like, you don't own it anymore. Mm-hmm. And someone else is calling the shots about what's going to happen with it. And that can be really depressing. I mean, for me, it was extremely depressing to the point where I was like diagnosed with depression. after. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, there's, there's just so much to it, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a process and I'm, I think I'm kind of harping on the the bad points, but on the, on the flip side, you know, there's a, if, if you do it right, there is this huge um, financial gain and there's the, the gain of like knowing what the whole process looks like end to end. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that's been the, the thing that outweighs the, the bad it's, it's been like, Oh, I'm now in a position to be able to invest, to be able to, um, you know, do things that I care about. And also I'm able to have conversations like this where I yes. speak with authority about what actually happens in the process. So um, all that to say, it's 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 good and bad, but um, I would say the, the good outweighs the bad at the end of the day. Yeah, I would say you are definitely like a founder's founder, you know, <laughs> because I feel so much everything that you're saying as far as like, feeling like, oh man, we're right there. You're getting so close and feeling so much. Um, and we talk about this. I feel like other founders talk about what is that balance of feeling that your company is so much a part of you yeah. that when you no longer have it, right, you do have like uh, battles with depression and like, did I make the right decision or, you know, what I, what I could have done like differently, even though Technically, you did one of like the founders' dreams, which was to exit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a crazy thing, like to think that you know you accomplished this big goal, or for me, it was a big goal, and I literally could not get out of the bed the yeah. next day. Like it was insane. Um, but it also has to do with the pressure that you put on yourself. Like for me, I was very sad that I didn't have a billion dollar exit, Yeah, you know, cause that's the, the thing that everyone talks about. Um, and I was like, I think I could have gotten there, but I didn't really have the right support or the right investors or, you know, there's these things that didn't, didn't work out for me. And I felt like, oh man, I could have gotten further and I'm just, completely ignoring the, you know, it's not good enough. Um, so, so, you know, I've, I've had to like work my way into acknowledgement of like, no, you did it. You did great. Like it's, it's such a rare thing. Um, but at the time I was beating myself up, like, man, I could have gone, I could have gone further. And I think this is why I'm so adamant about working with founders now is like, I, I learned so much and I'm, it makes me really happy that now things I think in the industry have changed quite a mm-hmm. bit so that it's possible for, you know, you to raise a series A and beyond yeah. really get to wherever you're, you're wanting to go. I think the, even just with a few years of difference between. Yes. It's crazy how much a few years, yeah. like every cycle of that, right? Like I was able to, it was easier for me to raise probably capital than it was for you. And then today it's even easier for, yeah. I feel maybe I'm wrong. No, no, but some of the conversations I'm just hearing people have, I'm like, huh, 
I, my seat round was torturous. It was, yeah. it was horrible. I it's think totally I was going to be like, yeah, it's, it's totally different. But I think part of that is because now people have proof, you know, they've seen some success stories. Because of the jewels of the world. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's people now to me, like, honestly, with Raising Collab, it, it felt like it's easier to raise $50 million in the fund than it yeah, was today. to raise a two million, you know, or $5 million Series A. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, it's proof points. It's like, oh, okay, I've seen you, you do something. At the time before, I hadn't really done anything. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's just kind of, and the, the dynamics, of course, like people are, have a lot more awareness about the plight of the Black founder. And I think there's just, there's more money flowing. Like it's, it's just, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's different. And <laughs> it just lets you know, like how things can shift so quickly, right? Yeah. Within like these compounded times. So every two years, three years and have watched and seen those shifts happen mm-hmm. um, for sure. So, okay, you exited uh, Parpig. Now you're going to work for Amazon, right? And so <laughs> was working for Amazon a part of your obligation in the exit? Yeah. So basically the way that we did the deal was half cash and half stock. Mm-hmm. So the cash we got um, up front, except for one word to look out for is indemnification. And so that was basically a holdback of, I can't remember the percentage, but it was a significant percentage of the cash in the case that there was something to go wrong. Like if, let's just say we um, got sued by a customer or something, they would keep that cash to pay for that lawsuit mm-hmm. in the case that it happened. So so we didn't get the second kind of tranche of cash until 18 months after the deal. Um, Got it. And then, and then stock, which that was the smartest thing I did was to do the deal, have cash, have stock, because even though I didn't sell the company for what I wanted to sell it for um, now, because Amazon, Amazon I'll say Amazon stock. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I've actually exceeded the amount that I initially wanted um, right. for, the, for the business. So, so that was, that was, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say I was pretty smart in negotiating. Yes. <laughs> and actually, it, the crazy thing is, I probably now would have done, I mean, knowing what I know now, of course, I would have done, you know, 20% cash. Right. <laughs> you were like, take even more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are the types of things that like, you know, there was a specific reason that we did it that way, because it had to do with the amount that we needed to pay back investors and like, you know, just controls that I wanted to have in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the types of things that like I could tell someone now, but nobody could really tell me about right. like, how you should think about negotiating it. Um, so that that was something. And But the time at Amazon, this is the thing that I didn't do. I, I didn't really think about to do, which was around making sure that I understood what was going to happen when I got to Amazon. Mm-hmm. I was so set on just closing the deal that I really didn't spend a lot of time focusing on what happens next. Yeah. Um, and so to answer your question directly, I stayed at Amazon for three years because that was the best period for the stock portion. So if I had left any earlier, then I would have sacrificed some of what was owed to me as far as the the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably, I could have stayed an additional year um, to get additional stock, of course, but I, I had had my, Right. You're like, okay, I had to put my time in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's, I had a lot of kind of like 
conversations with myself around happiness versus money. Yeah. Um, because I definitely wasn't happy working at Amazon. I had not a good team. There's, it, I could, again, go on. Right. You just didn't have the support that you felt like you yeah. needed. Mm-hmm. Um, not a great experience, but this is something that now that I know, I will always um, coach founders on making sure that what happens post-acquisition is super clear in all of the documents. If you want to say if you don't want to say, like, it's important to understand what it is that you actually want to do. Yeah. Um, for me, it actually, I wanted to say because I really wanted to make sure that the technology got out into the world. That was, I, I still wanted to achieve that part of my vision. Um, but I would have made some different determinations mm-hmm. as far as, you know, how much we were able to hire, how much money we actually got from a resource perspective, from a budget perspective inside of Amazon. Right. Um, like there's th- these questions that I didn't even know to ask that I now having experienced it would ask. So um, there's a lot. I mean, there's so much too. Yes. To this, but well, I look forward to your book because I'm like, <laughs> yes, have my highlighter out ready. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it was, painstaking process. And even the years after inside of Amazon were tough. And again, this is all like the motivation of why I do all the things that I do now. Cause I'm like, Mm -hmm. I do not want other people to go through the stuff that I've been through. So I'm trying to make sure that every, after every lesson, I'm kind of like sharing it back with somebody so they don't have to go through the same thing. Absolutely. And I feel like you package that even through um, starting now collab capital, um, also you're able to do a lot of work through Google again. So yeah. coming back full circle as now the head of Google, uh, for startups and how did that happen? So let's start with Google for startups. And then I want to talk about collab capital and like all the work you're doing there. Yeah. So Google for startups, it's, it's a weird story. I actually just went to visit or have lunch with somebody at the Google office, um, summer of 2019. Yeah. Somewhere around, yeah, somewhere around there. And I ran into a woman who worked on the Google for startups team who I knew she'd been at Google for 10 years. So I knew her from before. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were just catching up and she was saying like, oh, I'm planning a trip for our uh, VP of marketing to come to Atlanta. I really want her to see the startup scene in Atlanta. I know that you are like super involved. So we'd love to get your thoughts and just a look at the, for you to look at the agenda make sure that we're taking her to the right places, da, da, da. So I just was like, oh yeah, sure, of course. You know, I started putting my two cents into where she should go, who she should talk yes. to and all this. And then she she just casually slid it in. Oh, and you should talk to her. Like she's gonna be um hiring for a role and she's looking at Atlanta potentially for the the person to sit in Atlanta and everything. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Mind so you. So I just wanna say that genu- that Jewel is so genuinely just helpful. <laughs> like just so genuinely helpful. Even when I was introduced to you, you were like, Yeah, let's jump on a call and you know, let me see how I can help you or like give you advice. And she just was so genuine about it and so just thoughtful and wanting to help. So I just wanted to just say that because not everyone has been like that along the way. And I feel like you are so intentional about just doing that and like really trying to help people and continue to create the ecosystem. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yes, continue. I just wanted to, to just say that. 
Thank you for saying that. I mean, I I, I try, I do, but <laughs> in this case, it was it was very innocent. It was just like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And then she kind of slid it in there, like, oh, and you should meet with her, you know, for lunch. And so ended up meeting with her for lunch, and then that was I didn't know it, but it was kind of like an interview. Yeah. Um, and and I, honestly, I had planned on taking a break, so I really was like having my struggles at Amazon. I was counting, literally had a countdown on my phone, on my computer to three years, like, cause I was ready to get out. And I really had a, a desire to take like some time off. Yeah, I was already planning on collab. Like we'd already started working on putting together the fund, but, um, my, in my mind, I was going to take some time off, but that didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) I had this conversation um, with the VP at Google and she told me about the role. And I was like, dang, this is literally what I do. Cause it was, you know, the description was you would help um, underrepresented startup founders and like build programs and really bring the best of Google to these Uh founders. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is my job. Like this is Uh for me. So, um, so ended up actually going through the interview process and getting the role. Um, and then, and then of course the break that I expected to take, I was hoping to take at least <laughs> like a few, few months, maybe even a year yeah. and it ended up being a week between yes. Amazon and no gap year for you. <laughs> nothing. Um, but I was very excited about the prospect of doing the work that I do with the backing of Google because, you know, I care, like, you know, I really, really care about making sure that one founder, Black founders in particular, can go further than I went. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a big, it's kind of like a, it's like, um, what do they call it? Something on my shoulder. What do they call it? Like a... Um, a you have like a chip on your shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. A chip on my shoulder about what I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm like, I need to take everything that I didn't get a chance. Like I never got a chance to see what the process from a million to 10 million. Yeah. Like, you know, but I, I, I think I could have gotten there. Like I knew. Oh yeah, definitely. So, but um, now you can help so many other people get there. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's really been like my big thing. And I was like, okay, well, if I can get Google to, be my money partner <laughs> as I'm going through this process, like, or, you know, not saying that, but just really leveraging help, yeah, just, help to get to founders that look like us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. yeah, that's really been, been my work. And, you know, I set up a, a program for, we, we've started with Atlanta, like kind of building out a model for what does it look like for us to go deep in a city where there are a ton of founders, but not maybe a ton of resources. Uh-huh. Um, and so I did build up a program. And then with everything that happened last year, I was able to make a case for us to do um, what we call the Black Founders Fund. So uh-huh. um, deploy $5 million in non-dilutive resources um, or non-dilutive cash, and then paired that with $5 million in cloud credits, $5 million in ad credits. So kind of put together Which is amazing for, for businesses um, and, and then kind of do, hopefully do it again. Um, so, so yeah, that's been my experience at Google. Um, it's been interesting to be mostly I've been in the role as we've been in the pandemic. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like, a- yeah, that's true. <laughs> 2020 as yeah. well as, um, 
raising your fund, right, for Collab Capital. Um, and I love the fact that you wrote a Medium article about this idea of having, like, balancing almost all of your career, like, two jobs, because that's what you had to do. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit, but want to talk about Collab Capital, and um, you call it an alternative fund. And so what do you mean by that? Yes. So what it means is right now, current venture funds are focused on unicorns. They are the outcomes for, for venture funds are very binary. It's either you have an outsized exit, you you are able to return the fund, as they say, um, or you don't like you just mm-hmm. go to zero and no one cares about you. So that's pretty much what the web venture capitalists are the model is based on. It's it's kind of like win or lose. There's really no in-between. What we suggest is that Black founders in particular, one, we don't have the same level of risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. You know, when we set out to build a business, the pressure and the, of course, desire to win is super, super high because if we have gotten to the point where we can take the risk of actually starting a business it's likely that they are, there are people who depend on us. Like there's there's a whole crew behind us that really is hoping that we win. Yeah, um, and needing for us to win. And what we think is that you know the eighty twenty rule that exists in venture, where twenty percent of the companies that get investment actually make up all the returns, um, and eighty percent go to zero. Like that just can't happen in our community. We can't mm-hmm. have that high of a failure rate. And so we built a fund where we can derive returns from companies where even if they don't have the outsized unicorn exit, we still want them to be successful in a new definition of success. So if you build a $10 million business in a community like New Orleans, that's success. Like you're you're doing great. Um, And so we want to be able to support those types of companies as well. Um, and what we believe is that you really don't know until you get into it, until you get into the market, what type of business you're building. And what happens is a lot of times companies die on the on the road to trying to become a unicorn. But yes. really, they would have been perfectly fine as a $20 million business. Um, and so what we're looking for is, OK, let's watch the data. Let's watch what's happening in the market. Let's watch, you know, how people are adopting the technology, whatever you're building and make the right determination of what path you actually should be going on. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing crazy growth and you're, it's, it's really working out, then sure, let's push more money Use more capital. Uh-huh. And, and blow it out. But if you're not, that's okay. If you're yeah. growing 20% year over year, that's totally that's still a great, yeah, it's business. Still a great business. But that doesn't, but that means we shouldn't be pumping more venture capital into it. Yeah. And making something try to be a unicorn that's really not. So that's really the the premise is that we think there's multiple pathways to success. And we've built a model where we can actually help entrepreneurs get on the right path for them and then be able to derive returns for our investors dependent on whatever path these entrepreneurs are on and hopefully see that there are more success successful entrepreneurs in our portfolio, mm-hmm. meaning that fewer have had to actually close the business. But maybe we have, you know, 30% of the portfolio that's building companies that are profitable, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar businesses. And then of course we still want to have some percentage of the portfolio that are able to go the traditional kind of venture. Right. Route. Yeah. And I think it's such it's so important to have both. When I think about 
how we transform our communities is through a mix of these businesses, but particularly the businesses that you said, like doing $10 million in New Orleans and what a business owner will be able to do in their communities through hiring, through, you know, supporting their local schools, like transformative. But these are often the businesses that don't get the capital because they don't fit in that box or people want to make investments. And then they don't have the traditional capital that say white businesses are able to get from their families and from banks even, right, to get them to that $10 million. And so they don't make it, right? They never really are able to get to those 10 million, 20 million inflection points or be able to like expand nationally and grow that way um, that other traditional businesses have been able to do, right? Mm -hmm. And they make up the bulk of what exists in the country. And so I think like that is like so powerful and like the thesis around that is not only important, but I feel like that is like the future, right? Of how our communities are going to build and become economic like powerhouses. So yes, yes, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you literally are here for it. I mean, supporting as an LP as well. So yes. um, I think, you know, I would say, I know we're almost out of time, but one of the things that I regret is I had an opportunity to invest in, I think your series, your seed, I want to say. Yes. Um, but I was, you know, I was still trying to figure out the whole angel investing <laughs> at that time. But I'm like, dang, I really should have, you know, invested so incredibly well. But I appreciate yeah, you for, yes. for investing with us. And, you know, I try to, at least, even though I'm not an investor, still try to be as supportive. And you have. You 100% like always. <laughs> she, she always shows up, always responds to my emails, always tries to like connect me and you know, beyond capital, as we mentioned earlier, like that is what is going to allow me to continue to like grow and scale up, right? It's those connections and those opportunities to get in front of people where we're able to put together deals, where we're able to meet people that we didn't meet. And just like raising capital, like getting in the door, the intros are still important, right? And so I appreciate those. So Last uh, thing I want to ask you before we kind of um, dip out here, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs or founders who are looking at Jewel and they're like, okay, how do, I'm reading her story. I love everything she's doing. Where do I start if I wanted to have a path um, similar to yours, right? I remember a friend of mine, he's in real estate and um, he's in hospitality and now he like acquires, sells hotels, but he was from, uh, you know, out of DC, actually grew up around Howard um, and went to Temple and started out not knowing anything. And he heard down people speak in DC mm-hmm. and he was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. And so he began to study him, you know, and try to figure it out. But he's like, I'm going to do that. So what do you say to people who are looking at you, Joel, and like, oh, I'm going to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's great to have people that you look look at and say, this is a path that I want to follow. But it's really also important to understand that everybody's path is going to be completely different. And there are so many, we've talked about it, you know, there's so many things that happen in your life that guide exactly what the path is going to look like for you. So like my experience growing up with entrepreneurs is something that puts certain, you know, puts certain things in my mind and put certain attitudes and actually put certain principles uh, uh, 
to me that I can't even express. You know, I, I don't even know how to talk about because it's just innate. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas somebody else, they might have had different experiences that will lead them and give them certain insights. And so I think it's important to balance getting um, inspiration and guidance from from folks like us in reading books and, you know, reading Savisha's book Um, (laughs) and and balancing that with the brilliance and the experiences that make you, you know, the person watching who they are. So that's, that's something that I always want to let people know is because I do see people that think that, okay, well, you gave me the playbook, so I'm just going to run these plays. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, The time that I did what I did, the timing, that's such a huge part of all of this is like my experience is different. Like we talked about before, is very different than somebody raising money today or Mm -hmm. today because the dynamics have changed, the markets have changed, the circumstances of every, you know, what's going on has is totally different. COVID, for example, has flipped the game as far as what's going on. So that's something it's just like get the inspiration talk to people but also stand in the power of whatever it is that you've done and your experience and your background um and how that builds into whatever it is that you're that you're trying to um to grow absolutely well jewel thank you i appreciate you um the ecosystem appreciates you uh, everyone who I know who's been impacted by your work and those who have yet to be impacted by your work, but here, but you're, you're coming. Um, <laughs> we definitely want to see however we can like support you and, you know, anything that I can do, let me know um, beyond and further because we are definitely um, rooted in the same like purpose I feel. And that's always great to know that, you know, you have people that are are here for the cause and also working to uh, ensure that we leave, you know, everything a lot better than how we received it. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you. And (laughs) and again, congratulations. So excited for you. And um, if you're not sold out already, I know you're about to be. (laughs) Awesome. So yes. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to From Solid Ground to Resilient with me, your host, Savitra Wilson. If you like this show, subscribe, listen, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This helps us reach more people like yourselves, risk takers, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and the likes. Also, be sure to visit SavitraWilson.com and sign up for my newsletter. There you can download everything from my actual pricing sheets to pitch decks, capability statements, and more. All to help you get your entrepreneur wheels turning and your business growing. To learn more about my show and listen to all my podcast episodes, go to abfc.co backslash shows. Until next time, remember, even if no one sees it for you, you have to see it for yourself. Let your work be a testament to your grit, gratitude, passion, persistence, and most importantly, resiliency.